Hey, it's Carly Rieger from the Artistry of Change and Mind Story Academy, and we'd like to present the Successful Life Podcast. Discover mindset secrets for success in business and life. Hey, everyone, it's Carla Rieger, and I'm so excited today to interview Deborah Connors because of her expertise in wellness at work, which is such an important topic these days. In many organizations and businesses, the culture is, it's one of crisis, right? And overload and the work is about, you know, it's just surviving versus thriving and enjoying your work. So she believes it doesn't have to be that way. And Deborah teaches leaders to radically shift culture so that people can flourish. And she's the founder of the Better Workplace Conference, which I spoke at twice. It's now run by the Conference Board of Canada. It's in its 22nd year. She recently released a book, A Better Place to Work, which is daily practices that transform culture. So it's a book full of stories. She's a great storyteller of transformative workplace change. And it's a synthesis of advice from business and organizational health experts, all the top ones, which provides over 50 daily practices that can support creativity, innovation, and proactivity at work. So Deborah is a captivating speaker. I know she is, I've seen her. Great storyteller, as I said, author and workplace coach. She facilitates an online eight weeks to a better place to work course, which follows the chapters of her newly released book and helps people in adapting the practices to meet the needs in their own workplaces. She runs leadership retreats, team workshops, and speaks nationally and internationally with the core belief that work can be positive and that this benefits both the organization, the business, the people who work there. So let's dive in with our first question. So welcome, Deb. Thank you, Carla. It's great to be here. So you help people avoid common workplace wellness pitfalls, and often those mistakes I know are at the mindset level, which is a topic I love too. So what's the most important mindsets that you felt you needed to change so that you could be a success in your work? Well, thank you. I, I think that one of the biggest ones for me was understanding Understanding the negativity bias and that negativity bias is something that we all have as a species and what that means is that even though we have more positive most of us have more positive emotions and, um, and feelings than negative ones the negative ones are so potent that's that's the bias part and so for example you could you know have a great sleep you could get up and have a nice interaction with your family at breakfast and have a good commute to work and have all these you know, little positive things happen, but then you could have this phone call from a client uh, that's irate about something. And then that negative um, bias sort of jumps in and it, it can take you in that downward spiral so quickly. And so uh, what we need to do is to work at creating more positive um, feelings and emotions to balance that out. 
Um, so what, you know, how that, how, why that happens is they, they talk about that we have this, you know, still have this reptile brain inside us, which um, is important for survival. And it's what uh, is important if we are actually in a crisis, you know, if your house is burning down, you don't want to be thinking, oh, well, you know, what are all the possibilities? You know, you want to be running, you, you, it, you have to have that negative, um, really potent negative experience to tell you to, you know, the fight or flight response. Um, so it's good in that way, but it's it can be a problem and it can take us down. And so um, I'll, I'll tell you a story about uh, how this happened for me. And it was during the years that I ran the conference that you mentioned, and and you know it, it was a very successful conference. We had five or six hundred people coming out every year. We had you know had lots of uh, great speakers and great sponsors, and it was all really good. But um, we had you know there's many things in the environment that happen that can impact that type of work. And, and so for example, you know, 9-11, when 9-11 happened, people didn't want to get on airplanes. And, and so we had less people come and, and that sort of thing. And so this story is about the economic crisis. And when that happened uh, back in, I guess, 2008, um, it really impacted the conference business. And so even though we continued to have great conferences and hundreds of people and great sponsors and that, there were less people and it impacted us financially. And so, you, you know, you can be very um, successful in many ways, but you can have something like a financial setback, which is what happened to me then, that can take you in that downward spiral. And, um, you know, many people I've talked to that, uh, get into that, you know, you start thinking, well, I'm a failure, or why is this happening? Or, you know, why can't I fix this? And, and so I just found myself at one point in just a very negative place, where I knew that if I was going to carry on successfully, I needed to do something to get my head back in the game and to, you know, to get the, the positivity. And I didn't know so much then about the negativity bias. And I didn't know so much about these practices, which, you know, I talk about in my book, but uh, I've since done so much more research and so I understand it better. But what I did at the time is um, I, I actually started practicing three things and I did them religiously every single day, every morning. That's how I started my work day and every day for about eight or nine months until I got through to the next conference. And what they were were uh, meditation. And it was just, uh, you know, maybe minute, minimum five minutes, maybe a little bit more every day. But I did. I started meditating. Um, I started a gratitude practice. So I started writing down every day at least three things that I was grateful for. And I started... Um, something called memory imprinting which i learned from you carla in a session that i did with you and um and so i'll talk about that in a second but when i did these practices every single day for the eight or nine months um it totally changed my mindset it brought me back to you know being in a positive place where you can actually be creative and be innovative and think about different possibilities and do things to help yourself succeed. And we actually had probably the best conference that year that we ever had in the 17 years that I ran it. And we had um, definitely the most financially successful year. So that was, um, that was a major, you know, breakthrough for me. Um, but just to, you know, since that time, since I finished um, running the conference and um, and started researching for my book, I started looking at these various practices. And so um, what I know now about, um, about meditation that I didn't know then is that there is a, 
Well, first of all, there, there's a lot of research um, done by Dr. Barbara Fredrickson and others on positivity and how we need to have at least three positive um, emotions or feelings for every one negative one. And just to stack ourselves up because those negative ones are so potent, as I mentioned. And so some of the things that increase our positivity are meditation. And we know that uh, it's about, there's a tipping point of about 80 to 90 minutes a week that uh, over that we start to feel more positive. Our positive uh, positivity ratio goes up. Um, we are more optimistic, etc. And so that, you know, corresponds to about 12 minutes a day. And, and so it's not a big practice. It's not a lot, but it's something that can be very beneficial. Um, with the gratitude, it's the same thing. It's at least three things a day or three, writing down at least three things that you're grateful for. And we know that that increases our positivity. And then the other one that I mentioned, the, the memory imprinting, um, it's just, you know, thinking about times that you were successful in the past and, um, and writing down those stories because we forget all of those times that we've come through adversity and that helps us to, you know, um, move forward in a positive way in, you know, whatever situation we're dealing with now. All those little practices don't take much time. And I know that you're good at just giving people little practices because busy people will say, I don't have time. <laughs> but if it only takes a few moments, then you don't really have an excuse not to do it. And the payoff is so huge, right? Yes. And that's, you know, when I say that I teach leaders how to radically shift culture so that people can flourish, the, the practices I talk about are, are not like radical. They're very simple practices. But what is radical about them is that, that people aren't doing them. And so it's that radical shift. It's taking... You know, if you think about like back in the 70s, my mom started running and she would be out in the country, you know, we lived in the country and she'd be out running and, and people, it was so odd because nobody did that. And people would stop and ask her if she wanted to ride and she's no, like I'm, you know, I'm exercising. But it was just an odd thing because nobody did that. Everyone got in their vehicles. And that's where I think we are now with, uh, with gratitude and, and some of these practices. We, the research is there. It shows how beneficial they are to us. Yet, um, e even though they're very simple and it takes such a little amount of time, uh, it, it seems to be difficult for people to do, and especially in the workplace, to incorporate some of these practices. So that's what I work at is really trying to you know, help leaders determine you know, what is the culture that you want how, how is that going to help you achieve your vision? And then what are the practices that will help you to uh, create or achieve that culture and that vision? Yeah, and I know so many human resources people, they're tasked with that. You know, you, you just help us turn around this culture, right? Or there's been a merger and there's two different cultures trying to work together and they go, okay, and then they have no idea how to do it, right? But you come in and you help people, you give them a system and a structure and the accountability to make sure it happens. And it's a real expertise that a lot of people within organizations don't have. So that's so important. Yeah, well, and, and it really is about practices. You know, I think the big mistake that most organizations make is putting programs in place. It's the easiest thing to do so that's what why it's done so often but if it worked every organization would be healthy and so you know you can have a program lunch and 
learn seminars or, you know, sessions that you go to. But if that employee that's going to those sessions is, is then going back into a team that's dysfunctional or, you know, where they're bullied or whatever, it, you know, program's doing nothing. And so it really comes down to getting into the culture and how you do that is by changing what you practice and, you know, how we treat each other, how we lead, um, how, how emotionally intelligent we are, you know, understanding, being more mindful of how um, I, my actions impact other people and, and um, how I express gratitude and appreciation and those kinds of things. So those are examples of practices that we really need to implement. Yeah, a lot of people don't really know what their culture is. They don't really, they haven't really thought it through. All they know is that they feel exhausted at the end of the day and they don't really like their work and maybe they're looking for some other job <laughs> really you know those kind of things happen and then when you change the culture good people stay and even if you have a small business i was talking to a client who has you know just three people in their company but one person wasn't understanding the values and the culture and was pulling everybody off but once they got them on board with the culture and really did some training and practices around that everything was better so it doesn't matter how big your company is big or small right yeah no it doesn't and i find now that um i'm i get so many phone calls from small businesses when they get to that stage so when they get to be about 35, 50, maybe 70 employees, a lot of times they've focused so much on their customers and their products and their services and their growth, but there really hasn't been any focus on the people. And as it grows to that size, that's when it starts to become really apparent that we need to do, you know, some of those organizations after 10 years haven't even developed their mission or their vision or values. And so it's hard to have a conversation with people about, you know, your behavior doesn't fit with the values if you haven't defined what those are. So that's really a starting place. Um, and then it's, you know, then again, it's developing practices that help to achieve that vision and those values. And, you know, I, for my book, I interviewed a number of um, experts in the field of organizational health that has spoken at my conference in the past. And um, many of them, and Dr. Martin Sheen is one that um, I remember saying this, that organizations are never neutral they're always getting more positive or more negative and so if you're doing nothing to increase the positivity in your organization it is getting more negative and so he talks about you know there's a cost to doing nothing and that is costing you as an organization and it certainly costs the individuals who are working there it's also about being able to have the conversation you know so even if you do have the values I had a situation where I had a new person that came and worked with us and she was so great at what she did and, and she you know, was pushing things forward in the business and, and making a lot of headway, but the, it was the manner within what she was doing and, and you know, how she was talking to other people in the, on the team. And we were able to have the conversation that this, is, uh, this doesn't fit with their values and you know the other people had been around for a long time and they knew what the value and they knew kind of how we did the work and then you know uh, this was a new person and and the conversation completely changed the behavior so you know if you do that work of of you know creating your vision and 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 looking at it every few years and and does it need to be you know redone or is this still where we're going and 
and really um, uh, coming up with your values as a, as a team, as an organization, so that everybody has input into it, then people really can start to live it and you can start to have those conversations when you know, things are going against the values. Yeah, and I think it's like the metaphor of the garden. People say there's bullies that work in our workplace, and that might be true. Most workplaces may have that kind of behavior. They're like the weeds in your garden. <laughs> if you set the foundation up right, it's harder for that behavior to grow and thrive if you've created a foundation, a fertile soil for the honest, respectful behavior to thrive instead. Is that what you find? Exactly. It, it's about setting that, the groundwork, as you say, and just so often companies haven't done that. And it's also about tailoring practices to meet your needs of your organization and your particular culture. I think another problem that, um, or a mistake that a lot of organizations make is they see a company over here that has this great culture and they look at those practices and say well that's the best practice and we should take that and we should just implement that and that's going to you know create a great culture here and it doesn't work uh, almost always isn't going to work because every culture is different and there really i don't believe there is any best practice when it comes to culture it really is tailoring the culture or tailoring the practice to meet your own needs and um one of the people that i interviewed for the book uh, dr robert quinn from the university of michigan told me a story about a course that they do. He and his partner, uh, Dr. Kim Cameron, do this like, week-long course for CEOs where they focus on um, moving from conventional management to transformational leadership and, and positive organizing, which is kind of a new way for many of these CEOs to think. And, and they spend a lot of time at the end of the week on how do we take the practices that we've been talking about this week or other positive practices that other organizations have developed and tailor them to meet our own needs. And then after the CEOs go back, you know, they usually call them in two or three months and ask them what they've done as a result of the course. So he told me this story about this one CEO who when they called him, he said, you know, I, I didn't do anything for three weeks. I just wanted to reflect, which we don't always do enough of. So he did wanted to do, you know, just really reflect on what he had learned and, and wanted to come up with one practice, just one thing that he could do that would make a big difference. And the other thing he did was just a lot of observing of what was going on. And he said, the one thing that I did is I had a whiteboard in my office and I wrote on it, what is the result you want to see? Because what he realized by observing is that um, what he was doing all day long was solving people's problems. They were coming to him with their problem and he was, you know, was crisis management and that was the culture they had. And once he did this, when people would come in with the problem, he would point at it and say, you know, come back to me when you know what the result is you want to see. And he said, by the time they came back with the result they wanted to see, they also knew how they were going to get there. He said, you know, that one practice changed his culture more than anything else. And it's so simple, right? But it's not about just taking something you've seen elsewhere. It's really looking at what it, what's going on here in my workplace and what is the practice that's going to change things the most for us. Yeah, that's huge, right? A lot of people don't realize, they, they just think of the problem and they don't think, well, what do I want instead? Well, and that's the difference between in conventional management and transitional leadership 
is conventional management is really about problem solving. Transformational leadership is, is more about, you know, vision finding. What is the vision and how can I achieve it? And so, you know, when, when Robert Quinn talks about, you know, with conventional management, with problem solving, your, all of your solutions are just, you know, fixes for the problem. They're not going beyond. And when you, you look at vision, you know, focusing on the vision and then the possibilities just open up. So it's just that, you know, a different way of thinking. I do work with transformational questions a lot as a way of getting people to, instead of having to know the answer, you know, or problem solving, it's like asking questions that get you out of your normal way of doing things. So that help you see the possibilities that help you change the way you do things. So what's a, sometimes when you don't know the answer to something, you know, you're looking for the answer and really you need to look for a question. What's the question that's going to help me, you know, to move forward. And so many organizations and businesses say, okay, we need innovative thinking people. And then, you know, nothing, right? <laughs> Cause it's, you actually have to really work with the human mind, which will only think of solutions from the past instead of thinking outside the box. So I know that's, something you help people do is think in transformational ways. Well, and that's the thing about some of these practices is they change the way your brain works. You know, um, gratitude is one of them that um, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm a positive person. I, I look at the bright side, you know, and, and that's really not what it's all about. Um, and those people like me, when I first did my positivity, negativity ratio, you know, test, I, th I thought, oh, uh, of course, I'll be three to one or more. And I was like two point something. And, you know, so you realize that um, it, it takes more than just thinking positively. It, it really takes some concerted effort. And so gratitude, for example, when you start doing that practice of writing down at least three things that you're grateful for every day, it, your brain after a while starts to look for those positive things. So when you're, you know, swimming outside at lunchtime, you know, you're noticing how the water feels on your body and that you're, you know, it's a sunny day and all of those things versus uh, thinking about your meeting, you know, as you're swimming. So it starts to, to make you think differently. And, and a lot of it is, is, you know, changes that happen within the brain that there's all kinds of research on now. Yeah, the negativity bias is a huge thing in the human collective conscious and, and even people and I coach people who teach this kind of stuff in the world and even they they'll default to the negative far more often than the positive even though they would not originally label themselves that way like you and I right I can go there so easily so I know what you mean and is there a trend that you see in business and organizations today when it comes to wellness like you've been in this industry now for a few decades where has it come and where do you see it going because you're really on the leading edge with this well i do see and i hope i'm right that <laughs> there is a, a shift away from programs and to more understanding the culture we sort of went from programs to strategies you know every company was developing an organizational health strategy but a strategy, it, that's kind of an important thing to do, but it does tend to be more of a step-by-step -step process, and that's really not, you know, how it works. And so uh, 
I am seeing a bit more of a shift to more focus and um, interest in how do we understand our culture and how do we shift it and what can we do to make that happen and understanding that that's really about how we practice and and those are simple things that we can learn um, that there is no you know step-by-step -step process there is no cookie cutter approach to creating a, a more positive culture but it doesn't have to be super complex either it's you know starting with a few practices and then course correcting as you go yeah and i know when i first started in this field it used to be oh we have organizational wellness we have someone come in once a month to talk about yoga for lunch and learn and that was their wellness program whereas now it's more sophisticated right or at least in some organizations well it's getting there yeah there, there are some really great success stories and i've um I've talked about a lot of them in the book. There's some, you know, companies from all over the world, but there's some Canadian ones in here for those Canadians on, you know, that are listening um, that are doing some very innovative things. And so there's some good success, but we have a long way to go. Uh, a lot of organizations are still there in that kind of program phase. And, um, you know, we really need to shift. Yeah, I remember reading about some of the really interesting things that some organizations are doing. So what's an example of something that is really leading edge in terms of employee wellness? Well, I would say that, you know, there, there's psychological health is, is really a huge uh, interest and, and issue right now. I think a few years ago, you probably saw headlines, you know, on every newspaper about the um the problems with psychological health in the workplace and so that has really brought a lot of good discussion up and so we now have a lot of great tools like um in canada the the national standard on psychological health and safety that just provides a minimum standard that every organization should meet to um to provide you know um, good psychological health in the workplace um, but uh, even with that you know we need to focus more on creating the kinds of cultures that allow people to be their best. And so, you know, there are, there are good examples from all over the world. One of the stories that I talk about in the book is Baptist Healthcare, which um, this shift took place years ago, uh, where they created a, um, a much more healthy, positive culture. And but what is so significant about it is that it has lasted all these years. So they became one of the you know, top 100 places to work in America, um, coming from being a very um, um, unhealthy workplace at the time. And still, you know, 17 years later, they're, you know, they're still in the top 25. And, and so I watch that every year because um, what they did is they really um, focused on um, you know, being positively deviant, like going against the, the grain. When we, we look at the norm, we can be, we, we, we look at deviance as being sometimes a, a negative word, but we can be positively deviant as well. And I always ask people, how can you be positively deviant today? And, uh, and they really, you know, stepped uh, outside of the, the, the norm uh, way back then when they started uh, talking about happiness in the workplace and how, they realized through their research that they were asking their employees to 
um, their unhappy employees to to make people healthy. And so, you know, they they realized that they needed to improve the happiness of the people that worked in their organization. And and what that meant was going out and um, well, first of all, creating a vision for what they wanted their culture to be, but then going out as senior executives, but then going out and getting input from people so that everyone had an opportunity to have input into that vision and have input into how they were going to create the culture that would allow that to happen. Right. It's so important to get input from the people who you're supposed to help make more well. Yes, it is. And you know, there, there's another really great example in the healthcare world it, in the UK, and this is with the National Health Services. And what they have done is they have um, worked with leaders of teams on how to create more positive and resilient teams. And what they've found is, is you know, over the years of researching this, that just a 5% increase in more positive, resilient teams means a 3.3% decline in patient mortality. So less people die in hospitals where people are more positive and resilient. And so, you know, that research is there as well. And so anything that we can do to help people with their resilience and with um, increasing positive emotion, as we've been talking about, is super beneficial. Wow, that's amazing. It totally just makes sense when you say something like that. So what do you think differentiates you as a wellness consultant from others that are out there? Well, I think that it's my focus on practices. You know, there's so many consultants that focus on programs and, and a lot of those programs are fantastic. I believe that practice, you know, it's changing our practices, changing how we do things, our leadership practices, our team practices, organizational practices is how we're going to shift the workplace in the future. And I'm seeing that happen, you know, with my clients and, and all around the world with the research that I've done. Um, there's, as I said, great stories throughout my book about what people are doing and how they're changing their practices and, and how that's shifting things for the better. And that's what I hope to see is just more and more workplaces where people can flourish, where they can be their best because they, you know, work in an environment that allows that to happen. Yeah, I guess the program approach is more like give them a fish and the practices approach is teach them to fish for a lifetime, right? <laughs> it sort of has that longer term yeah. effect. Well, and also, you know, the program approach is really more sometimes pointing the finger at the employee like it's your responsibility and of course we all have a responsibility to be well and healthy and bring our best to the workplace but as I mentioned before if the environment doesn't allow us to be our best because we're in a culture of meetings or a culture of crisis or a culture of fear it's difficult and so you know it's really important to be looking at the what's the root of the issue and how do we create that kind of environment where people can be their best. Because when we, I, I often do this when I'm doing a talk, uh, I'll ask people to think about the best place they ever worked and write down a few words that describe that place. And they write down things like, you know, it was fun and um, 
you know, I had a friend there and it, I, we had good, I had good relationship with my boss and I felt supported and those kinds of things. And it's all about the culture. It's not about the fact that there was a lunch and learn seminar or a great benefits package. And then when you ask them about, you know, the worst place they ever worked, it's again, it's always about the culture. They say things like I, you know, I felt um, like I didn't have any control over decisions that affected me and you know there was no balance and I felt overwhelmed and those kinds of things and so you know that I use that to really help people understand that it you know that's what makes a workplace great or not is is the culture and um, and anything that we can do to improve that uh, improve our practices to you know allow people to really contribute their best is is going to be you know create success for us as an organization and for everybody that works there. Yeah, that's so huge because you've done so much research and really have been on the leading edge. So I'm sure people want to know how to get your book and all the good things you have going on. So uh, let us know a little bit about that. Okay. Well, my book is available um, on my website, DebraConnors.com just under the books section so you can go there there's bulk pricing available if you're a lot of organizations are um have book clubs now so you know they're taking this book and and reading it over the fall and meeting as a group to discuss um in at the end of each chapter in the book are activities and these are uh, individual practices uh team practices and organizational ones so you can work through those and implement try those out, tailor them to meet the needs of your workplace. Um, I also have a, an online course, uh, Eight Weeks to a Better Place to Work, that follows the book. And I have a course starting October the 18th. And so people can, um, you can sign up for the course. You get a book as a part of your registration. And, uh, and then we meet once a week and you read a chapter or two. So it's kind of like a book club, but you're getting some instruction as well and some online coaching. Um, so you can find that on my website as well, deborahconnors.com, and just under um, events and, and courses. And, uh, and I also have an um, event coming up in Vancouver for those people that are in the Vancouver area, September the 20th. It's a luncheon keynote, so you can come and, and uh, meet me, and uh, it's a 45-minute session and have lunch and take a signed copy of the book home with you. So uh, we have, you know, individual pricing and also tables if you want to bring a table of people from your workplace. So would love to see lots of people out to that. And, uh, and I will be around before and after that session to, to talk with people individually. Yeah. And so that's Deborah with an H and yeah. Connors, so two N's, so in, in O-R-S, yes, and dot com. And then you can look and there's the books tab and then there's the events and courses tabs. Yes. Check those out. It's a good read because you use stories and stories are so much more compelling than just a list of dry facts. So you can use it to improve your own wellness at work if you're a stressed out kind of person and you let work overwhelm you. and ruin your life enjoyment or your your life balance and but then of course bring it to a team bring it to an organization and then you're helping a lot of people so good any last words before we sign off deb thank you carla i i also do a lot of executive retreats and i go into workplaces and do departments and all staff meetings and that sort of thing so I'm pretty booked up for the next couple of months, but uh, anyone who's interested in that type of work, please contact me. I, I love doing that work and 
we have a lot of great research now and a lot of these practices are not that difficult to put in place and can make a big difference. So I'd be, I'd love to come out and, and work with uh, as many organizations as I'm able to throughout the coming year. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Carla.